0: Hello, friends. Welcome to episode one one zero two of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I'm your host Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And today's podcast is brought to you by the good folks at RockAuto.com. Amazing selection, live below prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit RockAuto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Today's podcast is a breakdown of the Hawks win their second of the season an eighteen point win one hundred and twenty two to one hundred and four against the Detroit Pistons at home in Atlanta. And what I would describe as a breezy win overall for the Hawks. Obviously, we'll get into all the details, but basically the better team won in this spot. The Hawks were basically wire-to-wire winners in this game. It wasn't always their absolute A-plus performance, but Detroit is not very good at this moment, and and the Hawks took care of business in a pretty competent, overarching way. So we'll get into all that as we always do on the podcast. And uh, once again, please subscribe to the show if you have not done that already. We'll dive in now to the sort of the lead-up to this game at the outset for some context. And the Pistons have struggled to open the season. That is worth pointing out. I'm not going to try to dwell on it too, too much, but it is definitely context that is important to break down this game. Detroit opened the season 0-2 with losses to the Bulls both in both games. And coming into Monday, they had the worst offense in the NBA by a wide margin. Granted, that's a two-game sample size, so I'm not worried about, about, about that too much. But they were scoring about 86 points per 100 possessions, which is dreadful. Uh, Turning the ball over a ton, shooting poorly, etc. And then, uh, it's worth also, I guess, pointing out that Kay Cunningham, the number one overall pick in the draft from last year and a potential future star, is not playing yet. He's injured for the Pistons. And in this game, they were actually without Jeremy Grant, who is their best player right now. Last year's leading scorer, etc. He was added as questionable midday and then ruled out before the game started. So, the Pistons... As instructed on this particular evening, we're probably a bottom two or three team in the entire league. That's how bad they were, perimeter-wise especially. But still, on the other side, the Hawks were also not at their full strength either. DeAndre Hunter, who was not on the injury report originally, was ruled out about two and a half hours before game time with a non-COVID illness. Not a lot of details there, but Nate McMillan talks about how he just wasn't feeling his best and obviously was under the weather too much to play in this game. Got to be careful with that, of course. So... Cross Hunter off for this game, and also Danilo Gallinari was listed as questionable once again after missing the first two games of the season, and he was questionable again this afternoon and ended up not playing. So, you know, two of the Hawks' top seven or eight guys are out of the lineup in this game. So, the play field's leveled a little bit. Obviously, Atlanta lineup was still favored heavily. Um, they also started Kevin Herter in place of Hunter in this game. People were asking me about why it wasn't reddish. Um, I can sort of see, sort of understand why, why that is because people I know are very high on Cam, and so am I. Um, McMillan said a couple times in the recent past that they like Cam on that second unit, which is worth pointing out. Also, as I said before, Detroit's not really a team as constructed that has a top tier wing option or perimeter option for Cam to focus on in terms of playing defense, um, which is probably one of the reasons why you would, might think about starting him over Kevin Herter, would be if you had some sort of stopper assignment, but that doesn't really exist here for the Pistons. And also, frankly, the Pistons might have the worst perimeter creation in the league if you take away Caden Grant like they did in this game. Killian Hayes, Josh Jackson, etc. And, you know, to this point in time, I know Cam's future is very bright and I'm certainly on board with that, but Herter's been the better player and the guy who Nate's had trust in and all that stuff. So I'm not surprised that they started Herter in this game. Cam had some nice moments along the way, of course. Um, played 27 minutes. So basically, they played the exact same amount of time, so it didn't really matter. But obviously, starting lineups always get overplayed. And if you're new to the podcast... I always say this, but I'll say it again now for the first time this season. I think starting lineups are overrated. I think I think who closes and who plays more minutes is more important. So that's my general stance. I, I try not to get too worked up about who starts, who doesn't. And uh, that's just kind of the first time that we talk about this on, on the podcast for this particular season. Um, at any rate... Final thing before we do a break here and let's look ahead to the game itself. The Hawks were 10-point favorites at the open, according to our friends at Battleline.ag. It was 12 or so at one point uh, before Hunter was ruled out. Ended up being the Hawks about minus 11 and a half in this game. They ended up covering that, but you know, to be that kind of a favorite early in the year without two of your key guys is fairly uh indicative of the opponent and all that stuff. Plus, Atlanta was at home on regular rest and all of that. So, you know, broadly speaking, the Hawks did a good job offensively in this game. Uh, It wasn't always that way, but the overall output was very strong offensively, defensively. They did their job at a solid-ish margin. Not incredible, but still solid. And uh, I would say, again, a wire-to-wire to to win. And a performance that was at least encouraging and that they took care of business after Saturday's less-than-stellar effort in Cleveland. Before we get into the details of what transpired, though, in this contest, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. And the first of which is DirecTV. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite TV shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for all of the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment that you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like they've never been before so you can watch your favorite shows, movies, and sports all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So you can get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at DirectTV.com. That is DirectTV.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Okay, we'll dive in now to the game flow in this one on Monday. And at the outset, the Hawks did set a tone quickly. Um, the Pistons did score first, but then there was a 13-3 run by the Hawks to force an early timeout for Detroit. Uh, Collins had a big dunk plus the foul from Trey Young on the first possession of the game offensively. Uh, Bogdanovich was hunting his shot pretty aggressively in the early going. And uh, defensively, they actually had bogey on Josh Jackson and Herder on Sadiq Bay, um, followed by, of course, Trey Young on Killian Hayes, which is probably what I would have done as well in this spot, but a good reminder of uh, sort of how weak Detroit's perimeter creation was. A couple of nice passes from, from Herter in the early going, plus a nice floater by him. Collins had a catch three right before the timeout on a kick-out pass, which was good to see. Um, rotationally in the in the game, the Hawks ended up playing 10 guys in the rotation and then four more Guys um, in garbage time, basically. It was the, you know, Jalen Johnson, Sharif Cooper group at the very, very end of this game. But essentially, it was a 10-man rotation. It was Solomon Hill's the first sub for the Hawks because John Collins got got in foul trouble in this game. Collins had two fouls in about six minutes at the outset. One of those was a very questionable offensive foul call, we'll say. Um, Collins has never gotten a super friendly whistle, but that was one that was frustrating, I'm sure, for player and team. Um, they brought in Reddish for Herter, and then shortly after that, they brought in Lou Williams and Gorgie Jang. That was Lou Williams' season debut. Uh, Nate McMillan talked about Lou after the game and said he actually planned to play Lou in this game, even if Hunter did play. I kind of surmised, once they ruled Hunter out, that I thought Lou was going to play on Twitter. It made sense. I know it's not exactly that they're similar players, but with the way the Hawks stack up, you know, they kind of played their rotation how it's been. And Lou has been the odd man out. Travis Schleich actually did. I saw this after the game. I was not watching live because I was in the building. But um, they were talking about uh, Travis kind of almost alluded to Lou being the 11th guy on the roster right now, uh, which has been the case. He hasn't played in the first two games. They've been sort of paring things down. But um, McMillan said after the game that there might be nights where, you, where they go to Lou instead of DeLon or maybe Lou is a primary backup and then you might flash DeLon in, etc. So that's kind of what we talked about all season long in the offseason, I should say. Is that like they're very different players, DeLon Wright and Lou Williams. So you might see one and the other and kind of alternating in and, and this game with Hunter out. You kind of slide Herter um, and McDonovich and Reddish to they can all play the three, obviously. So you can go a little bit smaller, play lot at the two a little bit, get Lou out there, who's been almost played the two in this game really the entire time, to be honest. So didn't surprise me. I thought it was pretty encouraging to see him out there and also just kind of playing well overall. Um, elsewhere, they did bring DeLon Wright back in the end of the quarter, but they actually played Lou with Trey. In two different stints, which is notable to me, um, Herder had a good drive. I thought that I, I made mean, note of. No, they actually got fouled on, but it was a good physical rim attack from Herder. Not always a strength of his, but good to see him draw some fouls um, in this game. The Hawks, though, had some offensive troubles, particularly with the area of ball security. They had six turnovers in the first nine minutes. They did get to the line a bunch, but there was this, also this horrible sequence. I made plenty of jokes about the first quarter of this game. It was pretty ugly first half overall, but particularly the first quarter was not a lot of fun to watch. Um, but there was the sequence in the first quarter at the end of it where Solomon Hill missed two threes in the in about twenty five seconds. Both for pretty pretty aggressive looks. You know, Solomon Hill when he when he misses it looks bad. <laughs> that's for sure. And uh, that was not his best. And then Cam had an air ball on a three. And then after free throws, which were actually good good to create. Reddish threw one of the worst passes you'll ever see. Um, a truly terrible turnover <laughs> in the backcourt for a layup. So. Four possessions in a row. Basically, they had a you know three bit, three badly missed shots and then a bad turnover in the backcourt for a layup. So it was a pretty horrible sequence overall for that second unit. Um, it, it did end better though because Lou hit a tough jumper and then Camp hit a pretty uh, a pretty sweeping, uh, awesome looking uh, buzzer beater off the glass actually to end the quarter. And hilariously, the Hawks were up ten at the end of the first period. And honestly, they did not play well at all. But again, the Pistons not particularly playing great on their own and you go from there to the Hawks actually making some shots. lately. I got, got to the line nine times in the first quarter. That was a lot compared to what they were in the first two games. And then the turnovers were eight. That's a lot. But they got a lot of offensive rebounds, too. They got six of those, extra possessions, so kind of mitigated some of the turnover stuff. And uh, Detroit's offense was truly dismal, 18 points in the first quarter. The Hawks were pretty de- decent on defense, but still not, um, not all of their um, stuff. Um, <laughs> on my notes, actually, in the second quarter, uh, beyond the nice steal and finish that Cam Reddish had early in the second quarter, which was nice to see. Also had a nice drive in the half court, which is uh, encouraging. He, he actually missed the shot. It was a good, good rib attack from Cam. Uh, they brought Collins back at center, but I did make a note, uh, and it got better from here, but I would say the game was, uh, at least on my notes, I described it as god-awful for the first 17 minutes. There was a stoppage. Both teams were not shooting well, turning the ball over a lot. It was pretty hideous, like choppy, lots of whistles. Everything was bad. Uh, it did get better from there, though, on both sides, um, You know, to Detroit's credit, too, but the Hawks mostly. Um, Collins got his third foul with about seven minutes to go in the, third, in the second quarter. I don't like the way they handled that. I mean, it's not the biggest deal in the world because they're playing a bad Pistons team, but I am a proponent of not fouling out your best players, i.e. not sitting them overly, like auto-benching them and all that stuff, but Collins sat basically the entire second quarter from there. Um, played nine minutes at that point in time. And um, ironically, for uh, just kind of bringing things full circle, he finished with four fouls in the game and only had three, I think, with like four minutes to go in the fourth quarter. So foul trouble, I guess, was a thing, but um, they probably were overly cautious with that one. And He was awesome in this game when he was actually playing. Uh, they want to actually... In that first stint, they went to Reddish at the, at the four, which they don't, they don't they don't like to do that much, as they have in the past, but with all kinds of injuries and also, um, you know, Hill had just played and they kind of, you know, what, were planning to go back to the start, I think, the entire rest of the way in the first in the first half. cause gets the injury, they bring back Cam with the starters alongside uh, Bogdanovich and Herter. Um, the Hawks did, though, have their first sort of explosion offensively. They had 13 points in about two and a half minutes to go back up by 13. Um... Young had 8 of the 13 points. The offense was definitely cooking at that moment in time. There was a really pretty back to sorry behind-the-back pass by Trey Young to Bogdanovich in transition, which was obviously awesome to see. But even before that, I thought it was notable by Young to actively push the pace down Detroit's throat. Basically, they were having all kinds of trouble getting organized. The Pistons were in this game, and Trey kind of sets that, I think, and pushed it right down the middle of the floor, setting up that pass, and ended up being a pure shot from Bogdanovich. With the exception of a Capella goaltend in the final second of the game, uh, sorry, second of the first half, it was a lot better in the second quarter for the Hawks offensively. I will say, though, they lost the second quarter overall, which is kind of crazy if you watched it, but Detroit ended up making it a bunch of shots. They shot the ball 6, 6.1% from the floor in the second quarter um, and got some offensive rebounds, etc. So still only up by 8 at the half despite some positive stuff from the offense. Only seven assists though. That was the thing about the first half is that the ball movement was not um, particularly crisp, and they had ten turnovers. So seven assists to turnovers is a bad ratio for anybody. But they were able to shoot pretty well, and Trey Young had twenty-two points at the halftime break. So that was uh, sort of covering up for a lot as well. He was efficient too. Um, they did have eight steals. The Hawks did, including three by three by Cam in the first quarter in the first half. Um, and as I said before, the same rotation as it was before this game, other than Lou in place of Hunter. To the third quarter. Um, not the most dominant start to the third overall, but the Hawks did lead by 15 points pretty quickly, getting up to their largest lead of the night at that point in time. Uh, Trey Young and others, but a lot of it was Trey getting into the lane kind of at will at that point in time helped them to break down the defense in, a, in sort of myriad ways. Um, rotationally, it was pretty similar. They went to Solo and then Reddish and then Lou again um, and kind of modeled that same thing that they did in the first half. The um, Trey had a couple of nice little runs in the third quarter. Against the Hawks, not their best there. Uh, A bogey just sort of found a stroke, which is good to see offensively. But the Pistons cut down to 9 and then cut down to 7 again with a 7-0 run. McMillan was pretty upset about that little push from Detroit. They actually gave up a layup at the rim uncontested, and he called timeout immediately. He was not pleased visibly in that that spot. But after that timeout, the Hawks had their sort of break it open run. A 13-2 push in the third quarter to go by 18. That featured three triples in a row from Reddish, Williams, and Gorgie Jang. Um, the Pistons did have a uh, jumper along the way there, but still, uh, the Hawks led by 16 at the end of the third quarter, and a lot of that was their shooting. They had more assists with 10, they had 10 in the third quarter alone, that's more than they had the entire first half. They shot 5 of 8 from 3 in the third quarter, 56% from the floor, turnovers were pretty manageable, so offensively, third quarter was uh, much, much better, 33 points, even uh, even not like sky high pace in that period. And honestly, it felt like it was kind of over at that point, given what Detroit had. But if it wasn't already, it was pretty quickly in the fourth quarter. Um, Collins had a, a lob dunk from Reddish with about nine minutes to go in the game to go up by 22. That pretty much ended the game. Honestly, it was an 8-2 run with Collins and the bench unit. Collins actually playing, um, with, playing the 4 alongside Gorgie because he hadn't played so much at that point in time. The league was kind of in that 20 range for a long, long time in the fourth quarter. I was actually surprised, maybe not surprised, but I'm not sure they needed to do this. They brought Capella and Trey Young back in with about six minutes to go up by 20. You know, Trey, I get it. He's very durable and all that stuff. I'm not sure why you bring Capella back in there because he's kind of been there trying to watch him in the minutes and all that stuff. But he didn't play too much longer. It was just kind of interesting to me that they brought him in up by 20. And then uh, the play of the night happened with 311 to go in the fourth quarter. Collins catches a lob from Kevin Herter and throws down a uh, the, one of the dunk-of-the-year candidates so far in the entire NBA. Um, an absolute, you know, monstrosity <laughs> over Kelly Olenek. Uh I'm sure you've seen the replay by now, but if you haven't, I would say uh, find that one. I tweeted it out a couple times. Um, Collins credited Herter with having that chemistry to throw the ball up to him and the magic that he referred to in that spot. Um, Herter said that he felt like Collins has won every game at this point. There was lots of comments after the game about it, but um, that was a, uh, a wild one. I ended up uh, kind of almost punching Kevin Fox.com of me on media road <laughs> during that one. It was a wild one. Uh, Right in front of the media section, and uh, place went crazy as it should have. Game was already over, but certainly an exclamation point on what became a pretty breezy win. And then after that, they called timeout and uh, they went to the bench. Uh, It was the rest of the game, three minutes, was uh, with a full third unit plus DeLon Wright alongside the young guys. So that's it for that. We'll come back in a second to talk about all the takeaways from this game. It's player um, some player observations as well. But first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is back and better than ever, and all eyes are at the gridiron this season as teams are back for another football season all across the country. And as always, BetOnline is your favorite and number one spot for all of your professional and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website right now at BetOnline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline. Don't forget to use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive that bonus. And one more time, it is 50% on a welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code LOCKEDON in their portal. From football, basketball, boxing, golf, tennis, UFC, baseball, your favorite casino games, and much, much more, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season with BetOnline. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports – but online, where the game starts. Today's podcast is also brought to you by rockauto.com. Have you ever gone to a chain store looking for auto parts that fit your car? Is it maddening? Because it is for me. I know it has been in the past, and it will be if I ever try that again. But frankly, I don't ever need to do that again because of rockauto.com. Rock Auto has been serving auto parts customers for 20 years at this point in time. And you could save time and money when you use RockAuto. They have all kinds of auto parts that will fit your lifestyle, fit your preferences, and the best part is you don't have to endure the pointless questioning from someone behind the counter who's only looking to sell you the one part or one kind of part that they have in their warehouse. rockauto.com has everything you could possibly need from brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet, and honestly, The prices are always reliably low for every customer, and they really serve the do-it-yourselfer very, very effectively. You can go explore their website right now. It's very easy to use. You can find a solution to your auto parts needs in one place. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck, and from there, you want to write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Okay, I'll close this one up with some takeaways from the evening as I said, a breezy win for the Hawks. You know, offensively, the numbers are pretty good. Um, I will say, again, the first quarter and a half was not particularly impressive offensively for the Hawks in this game. Kind of a carryover from the Cleveland Cleveland loss on Saturday. But from that point forward, they were quite good. And the night-long numbers are pretty solid. A 61.5% true shooting, obviously, is very, very strong. Uh, 51% from the floor, 38% from three. Got to the line 21-21 20, times, make 18 of them. That's all very, very strong performances. Um, 59% on twos is what you want to see, obviously. Um, 52 points in the paint is a very good number for the Hawks. 12, 5, 12 in the past break is good. Um, turnover-wise, it was good after the first quarter. So it was 8 in the first quarter, and then 8 the rest of the game. You'll take that last 8 up to the first, th- first quarter. Not so much. 16 is too many for a full game, but not like completely egregious. And on the offensive glass, they did a good job. Actually won the glass both of the floor in this game. That's intriguing against a team that has some decent size in Detroit. Assist-wise, still fairly low with 24 for the Hawks, but not disastrous. And again, after the first quarter and a half or so, they went at a pretty good pace from there. So, you know, balance, they scored about 1.2 points per possession in this game, which is quite good. Um, you know, Detroit gets some credit for that, not being very good defensively. But I think the Hawks, particularly in the last two and a half quarters, were pretty strong offensively in this spot. Uh, defensively, a similar story. I think um, they were generally pretty good outside the second quarter of this game. They got a little bit out of hand in that point in time. They were scoring, fortunately, enough for them. But the Pistons had about a 103 offensive rating in this game, which is a very good defense. Uh, you know, obviously, take that. You know, Again, Detroit didn't have anybody that you trust to create. I do think that like, Kelly Olenek a good player offensively. He's pretty annoying if you're the opposition. But a good, talented offensive player. Sadiq Bey is also quite good. But the perimeter guys, Killian Hayes, who I always liked in the draft, but is not very good right now. Josh Jackson, same thing. Um, those guys are not really ready to create offense. And then their backups, you know, Corey, Jack- Corey Joseph, Frank Jackson, et cetera, not the greatest offensive talent for Detroit. But still, Hawks did a pretty good job here. Um, defensive glass is pretty good. They held them down to a below average offensive rebound rate in this game. Uh, 14 turnovers created, actually created a bunch of uh, points off of those. They had 11 steals in this game, so lots of live ball turnovers. Reddish was, certain, was certainly a terror. We'll get into him later on, but it wasn't just him. It was a lot of uh, team effort stuff defensively, and I think they just played pretty darn well. Overall, in this game, um, to the individual players, uh, you know, not a lot. And I guess on Saturday, as I said on the podcast a lot. By the way, if you missed that podcast, it's still very much relevant at this point in time. But Saturday, it was a try to find a night where guys like, like who played well. Whereas tonight, it's like who didn't play well. Uh, when, when the team plays well, it's you know try to figure out uh, you know bright spots and dark spots and all that stuff. Like who you know who, who struggled. But in, in this game. It was really about, you know, everybody played fairly well for the most part. Um, off the bench, uh, the one guy who I think struggled was Solomon Hill. You know, I'm generally pro-Solomon Hill, and hilariously, he was plus 12 in this game. Offensively, though, it was a struggle. Uh, even I will admit that. 0-3 from three, uh, two assists, two rebounds. Did, did move the ball a few times well. I think defensively, that obviously, they trust him. But I'm not going to do this, this same thing every single podcast, but McMillan trusts Solomon Hill defensively, and that's why he's playing. I will say it one more time. Nate McMillan trusts Solomon Hill defensively. That's why he's playing. I do think um, I'm not going to openly advocate for playing Jalen Johnson and Sharif Cooper, but in particular Jalen Johnson right now, because um, McMillan's been very clear that they're not trying to develop guys right now. They're trying to win. And I think that rookies are generally bad. I say that all the time. Now, in this game, I think it would have been a good time to play Jalen Johnson. Just because of who you're playing against. Detroit is a team that I think on paper... And I know coaches don't think about it this way, but I think probably somebody should have. Detroit, on paper tonight, was a team where it would have made sense to get Jalen Johnson some experience on a night where Hunter is not playing and neither is Gallinari. There are obviously some minutes to take. I think it would have been a good one to try out Jalen, sort of a low-stakes environment on on some level against a team that's not going to just like you blow him out of the water. Um, obviously he would have had to guard some guys who are professionals with uh, you know Olenek and Bay, etc. But I think it would have been a good night for that. I wasn't too bothered that they didn't do it, though, because McMillan's been, again, very clear that they're trying to win every night. His personality dating back to Seattle, Portland, Indiana, is that he's not going to develop guys, and I've said that a lot. So is he? Uh, you got to know what you're getting into along the way here, but I would have maybe circled this one as one where I would have maybe liked to see him play a little bit more, but I, I also get it on all fronts. Elsewhere, Uh, DeLon Wright, I think, is still just playing solid basketball. I've seen some frustration from Hawks fans about DeLon Wright. I don't really know why. Um, Obviously, he's not the flashiest guy in the world, but, you know, plus six tonight, four rebounds, had an assist, um, two points, like nothing flashy, but he just does his job. He's a good defender. He's not ever going to be the guy who blows you away offensively. I I think I probably said that a lot in the offseason, but worth repeating now, that doesn't mean that he's not good. I think DeLon Wright is someone who is very, very solid at a lot of different things, plays defense, etc., and in contrast to Lou Williams, uh, Lou played well in this game in his first action of the season. Nine points in 17 minutes. He was efficient. He was plus 12, uh, two assists. A steal. Even even was credited with a block shot in this game. Shots to Lou on that. Uh, Gorgie Jang continues to play very, very well. Six points, 12 rebounds in 16 minutes for Gorgie Jang. Shooting the ball away from the perimeter. Had two assists. He's a very good passer. Did have four fouls, but plus 16 was just very, very good off the bench again. And I think that that deal was like a heist each and every day. Not that he's fantastic in like a starter kind of way, but Gorgie Jang is uh, a solid, solid, solid rotation player at center. Um, another guy who played enough to warrant the discussion on this podcast is Cam Reddish. Uh, Reddish had 17 points, so he he's scored a lot in all three of these games. Not terribly efficient in this spot. 5-14 of 14 from the floor and uh, only 2-7 of seven on twos in this game, but 4-4 four four from the free throw line is good to see from him. Uh, had four rebounds. Uh, did, did have one assist. Um, the passing's not been his strength so far this season, but did have the one lob to Collins um and three steals. You know, Cam, I've said this forever, but his passing lane feel defensively is excellent. His hands are excellent defensively. He may, he creates chaos. You know, he's not always like the best one-on-one lockdown guy, but he is pretty good at that and also, you know, definitely feels the game well off the ball defensively and offensively. Uh, I thought the shot selection was generally okay tonight. There were probably two that like I can remember off the top of my head that were probably not, not my favorite shots. But his usage rate is very, very high so far. Shooting, he's been very aggressive, but not a whole lot of bad shots. Um, again, not efficient tonight, so that's worth circling. You know, the point total is always it's always worth evaluating that compared to how many shots you actually take. But still, the fact that he's averaging you know 18 and a half, 19 points a game through three through three and uh, you know, playing defense and all that stuff, it's been an encouraging start for Cam Reddish overall. Of course. Uh, To the starters, all five guys I thought played well in this game. Click Capella was quiet, four points, eight rebounds, two steals and a block, but he was just solid, did his job, um, you know, held down Isaiah Stewart for the most part, just kind of a quiet, unassuming night for Clint, and that's totally fine. But Donovich started out slowly. He was actually one of five, made his his last four shots, um, 14 points, three rebounds, just, you know, doing his normal stuff, having to be guarded. I thought Herder was good, 14 points, 4 assists, made some nice plays with the ball in his hands, shot well from the floor, 5-8 from the floor, 2-3 of three from 3, got to the line as well, and I thought he was uh, just very, very solid across the board. Um, John Collins I thought was excellent when he was able to start playing, uh, stay on the floor, I should say. So the fouls early on, it's been a little bit of an issue for Collins recently to have 3 fouls. I thought that he should have played more still, but in 24 minutes, he had 22 points, 7 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals, and a block. Did have four turnovers, kind of had a weird start to this game where he couldn't, um, you know, get his feet under him for the most part. McCollins was super efficient. He was aggressive um, defensively, flying around a little bit. So another productive night for him. And then Trey Young, uh, you know, obviously he kind of carried the offense in the first half with 22 points. Finished the night with 32 points, nine nine assists, four rebounds, and a steal. He was efficient um, from the floor. He was 11 of 16 on twos, two of five on threes. That's a line for four attempts. Played some feisty defense as well. I think Trey was quite good in this game, and that's pretty obvious by the, box score, by the box score, but I saved him for last on purpose because he was excellent in this game. So, that's it for this one. Obviously, kind of an unassuming win in a lot of ways, but it's kind of what you want against a bad um, Pistons team. If the Hawks had lost this game, or if the Hawks had won this game by four points, it would been a little bit concerning on some level. Um, from here, though, they go to a three-game road trip. They play Wednesday, Thursday, and then Saturday. Wednesday's in New Orleans, by the way. That, that's an ESPN game. Um, Zion Williamson, which is probably one of the reasons why this game is on ESPN, is still out of the lineup. I assume that's going to happen until Wednesday, but we'll focus on that tomorrow night. Um, But that's one where, if Zion's not playing, the Pelicans are not very good. Uh, And then Thursday, it's a back-to-back with travel between New Orleans and Washington. You have to fly to the nation's capital for that one. Still Washington's team that the Hawks are better than, even without their uh, advantages of staying at home and also with some travel. And then Saturday they're still on the road, so three of the next uh, four nights. When you factor in Wednesday, well, I guess Wednesday, Thursday, and then for, and Saturday, so it's a three-game, four-night road trip. And then they'll come back home. Next game at home is actually next, not until next Monday, so a week away from the home fan base, but uh, some challenges for sure. Some teams that are certainly beatable for Atlanta, and we'll get into all of that and more the rest of the week on the podcast. Please subscribe to the show. Please tell your friends about the podcast and leave five-star ratings and. Tweeted us at BT Roland for me at Locked on Hawks for the podcast itself. Thank you for listening, as always, everybody, and we'll see you next time.